Chapter Twenty Four of Donald Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. Donald Grant by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Four. Stephen Kennedy. The great comforts of Donald's life, next to those of the world in which his soul lived, the eternal world, whose doors are ever open to him who prays, were the society of his favorite books, the fashioning of his thoughts into sweetly ordered sounds in the lofty solitude of his chamber, and not infrequent communion with the cobbler and his wife. To these he had as yet said nothing of what went on at the castle. He had learned the lesson the cobbler himself gave him. But many a lesson of greater value did he learn from the philosopher of the lapstone. He who understands because he endeavors is a freed man of the realm of human effort. He who has no experience of his own, to him the experience of others is a sealed book. The convictions that in Donal rose vaporous were rapidly condensed and shaped when he found his new friend thought likewise. By degrees he made more and more of a companion of Davy, and such was the sweet relation between them that he would sometimes have him in his room even when he was writing. When it was time to lay in his winter fuel, he said to him, up here, Davy, we must have a good fire when the nights are long. The darkness will be like solid cold. Simmons tells me I may have as much coal and wood as I like. Will you help me to get them up? Davy sprang to his feet. He was ready that very minute. I shall never learn my lessons if I am cold, added Donal, who could not bear a low temperature so well as when he was always in the open air. Do you learn lessons, Mr. Grant? Yes, indeed I do, replied Donal. One great help to the understanding of things is to brood over them as a hen broods over her eggs. Words are thought eggs, and their chickens are truths. And in order to brood, I sometimes learn by heart. I have set myself to learn, before the winter is over if I can, the Gospel of John in the Greek. "'What a big lesson!' exclaimed Davy. "'Ah, but how rich it will make me!' said Donal, and that set Davy pondering. They began to carry up the fuel— Donald taking the coals, and Davy the wood. But Donald got weary of the time it took, and set himself to find a quicker way. So next Saturday afternoon, the rudimentary remnant of the Jewish Sabbath, and the schoolboy's weekly carnival before Lent, he directed his walk to a certain fishing village, the nearest on the coast, about three miles off, and there succeeded in hiring a spare boat spar with a block and tackle. The spar he ran out, through a notch of the battlement near the sheds, and having stayed it well back, rove the rope through the block at the peak of it, and lowered it with a hook at the end. A moment of Davy's help below, and a bucket filled with coals was on its way up. This part of the roof was over a yard belonging to the household offices, and Davy filled the bucket from a heap they had there made. "'Stand back, Davy!' Donal would cry, and up would go the bucket, to the ever-renewed delight of the boy. When it reached the block, Donal, by means of a guy, swung the spar on its butt-end, and the bucket came to the roof through the next notch of the battlement. There he would empty it, and in a moment it would be down again to be refilled. When he thought he had enough of coal, he turned to the wood, and thus they spent an hour of a good many of the cool evenings of autumn. Davy enjoyed it immensely, and it was no small thing for a boy delicately nurtured to be helped out of the feeling that he must have everything done for him. When after a time he saw the heap on the roof, he was greatly impressed with the amount that could be done by little and little. In return, Donal told him that if he worked well through the week, 
he should every Saturday evening spend an hour with him by the fire he had thus helped to provide, and they would then do something together. After his first visit, Donal went again and again to the village. He had made acquaintance with some of the people, and liked them. There was one man, however, who, although attracted by his look despite its apparent sullenness he had tried to draw him into conversation, seemed to avoid, almost to resent his advances. But one day, as he was walking home, Stephen Kennedy overtook him, and saying he was going in his direction, walked alongside of him, to the pleasure of Donal, who loved all humanity, and especially the portion of it acquainted with hard work. He was a middle-sized young fellow, with a slouching walk, but a well-shaped and well-set head, and a not uncomely countenance. He was brown as sun and salt sea winds could make him, and had very blue eyes and dark hair, telling of Norwegian ancestry. He lounged along with his hands in his pockets, as if he did not care to walk, yet got over the ground as fast as Donal, who, with yet some remnant of the peasant's stride, covered the ground as if he meant walking. After their greeting, a great and enduring silence fell, which lasted till the journey was halfway over. Then all at once the fisherman spoke. "'There's a lass at the castle, sir,' he said. "'They call Epicomen.' "'There is,' answered Donal. "'Do ye ken the lass, sir? "'To speak till her, I mean.' "'Surely,' replied Donal. "'I know her grandfather and grandmother well.' "'Decent folk,' said Stephen. "'They are that,' responded Donal. "'As good people as I know.' "'Would you do them a good turn?' asked the fisherman. "'Indeed I would.' "'Well, it's this, sir. "'I had great doubts gin all be going very well with the lass at the castle.' "'As he said the words, he turned his head aside, "'and spoke so low and in such a muffled way "'that Donal could but just make out what he said. "'You must be a little plainer if you would have me do anything,' he returned. "'I'll be right plain with you, sir,' answered Stephen, "'and then fell silent as if he would never speak again. "'Donal waited, nor uttered a sound.' At last he spoke once more. "'Ye maun ken, sir,' he said. "'I a had a fancy to the last this many a day. "'For ye'll allow she's both bonny and winsome.' Donal did not reply, for although he was ready to grant her bonny, he had never felt her winsome. "'Well,' he went on, "'her and me's been courting this two year, "'and good friends we I was till this last spring, "'when all at once she turned highty-tighty-like, "'nor do what I might could I get her to say what it was that changed her.' So far as I kenned, I had done nothing, nor would she say I had given her any cause of complaint. But though she couldna say I had ever given more nor a civil word to any lass but herself, she appeared uncle willing to fix me with this one and that one or any one. I couldna think what had come o'er her. But at last, and a sir last it is, I had come to the understanding o' it. She would fain have a pretense for breaking with me. She would have it that I was doing as she was doing herself, holding company with another. Are you quite sure of what you say? "'asked Donal. "'Or sure, sir, though I'm not at liberty to tell you how I came to be. "'Dinna think, sir, that I'm one to hold a last till her word when her heart does not back it. "'I would have said nothing about it, but just borne the heartbreak with the becoming silence, "'for greeting nor raging men no nets, nor take the life of no dogfish. "'But it's God's truth, sir. I'm terrible feared for the lassie herself. "'She's that ta'en up with him, they tell me, that she can think of nothing but him. "'And he's a young lord, not a poor lad like me.' and that's what fears me. A great dread and a great compassion together laid hold of Donal, but he did not speak. Gin it came to that,' resumed Stephen, "'I doubt the fisher lad would win her better bread nor my lord. For gin all tales be true, he would have to work for his own bread. The castle's not his, nor can be, sep he marry the lady o' it. 
but it's not Mary and Eppie he'll be after, or any the likes of him. You don't surely hint, said Donal, that there's anything between her and Lord Forgue. She must be an idle girl to take such a thing into her head. I wish well she had taken it into her head. She'll get it the easier out of her heart. But deed, sir, I'm sair feart. I speak no o' it for my ain sake. For gin there be truth into it, there can never be mair between her and me. But eh, sir, the pity o' it was sic a bonny lass, for he canna mean fair by her. The grand folk does fearsome things. It's small wonder at whiles the poor folk rises with a roar and tears down all, as they did in France. All you say is quite true, but the charge is such a serious one. It is that, sir. But though it be true, I'm not going to make it for the world. You are right there. It could do no good. I fear it may do as little where I am going to make it. I'm upon my road to gar my lord gin account of himself. Faith, gin it be not a good one, I'll throw the neck of him. It's better me to hang nor her to gin disgraced, poor thing. She can be nothing mere to me, as I say. But I would like whale the ring of her lord's neck. It would be like killing a shark. Why do you tell me this? asked Donal. Cause I look to you to get me to word of the man. That you may wring his neck? You should not have told me that. I should be art and part in his murder. Would you have me let the lassie take her chance on doing anything? said the fisherman with scorn. By no means. I would do something myself, whoever the girl was, and she is the granddaughter of my best friends. Sir, you will not surely fail me. I will help you somehow, but I will not do what you want me. I will turn the thing over in my mind. I promise you I will do something. What, I cannot say offhand. You had better go home again, and I will come to you tomorrow. Na, na, that winna do, said the man, half doggedly, half fiercely. The heart'll be out o' my body gin I dinna do something. This very night it mun be done. I canna bide in hell any longer. The thought o' the rascal slaverin' his lays o'er my eppy is killin' me. My brain's like a fire. I see the very billows o' the ocean as red as blood. If you come near the castle tonight, I will have you taken up. I am too much your friend to see you hanged. But if you go home and leave the matter to me, I will do my best and let you know. She shall be saved if I can compass it. What, man, you would not have God against you? He'll be upon the side of the right, I'm thinking. Doubtless. But he has said vengeance is mine. He can't trust us with that. He won't have us interfering. It's more his concern than yours yet that the lassie have fair play. I will do my part. They walked on in gloomy silence for some time. Suddenly the fisherman put out his hand, seized Donal's with a convulsive grasp, was possibly reassured by the strength with which Donal's responded, turned, and without a word went back. Donal had to think. Here was a most untoward affair. What could he do? What ought he to attempt? From what he had seen of the young lord, he could not believe he intended wrong to the girl. But he might be selfishly amusing himself, and was hardly one to reflect that the least idle familiarity with her was a wrong. The thing, if there was the least truth in it, must be put a stop to at once. But it might be all a fancy of the justly jealous lover, to whom the girl had not of late been behaving as she ought. Or might there not be somebody else? At the same time, there was nothing absurd in the idea that a youth, fresh from college and suddenly discompanioned at home, without society, possessed by no love of literature, and with almost no amusements, should, if only for very ennui, be attracted by the pretty face and figure of Eppie and then enthralled by her coquetries of instinctive response. There was danger to the girl, both in silence and in speech. If there was no ground for the apprehension, the very supposition was an injury, might even suggest the thing it was intended to frustrate. Still, something must be risked. 
He had just been reading in Sir Philip Sidney that whosoever in great things will think to prevent all objections must lie still and do nothing. But what was he to do? The readiest and simplest thing was to go to the youth, tell him what he had heard, and ask him if there was any ground for it. But they must find the girl another situation. In either case, distance must be put between them. He would tell her grandparents, but he feared if there was any truth in it, they would have no great influence with her. If, on the other hand, the thing was groundless, they might make it up between her and her fishermen, and have them married. She might only have been teasing him. He would certainly speak to the young lord. Yet again, what if he should actually put the mischief into his thoughts? If there should be ever so slight a leaning in the direction, might he not so give a sudden and fatal impulse? He would take the housekeeper into his counsel. She must understand the girl. Things would at once show themselves to her on the one side or the other, which might reveal the path he ought to take. But did he know Mistress Brooks well enough? Would she be prudent, or spoil everything by precipitation? She might ruin the girl if she acted without sympathy, caring only to get the appearance of evil out of the house. The way the legally righteous act the policemen in the moral world would be amusing were it not so sad. They are always making the evil move on, driving it to do its mischiefs to other people instead of them, dispersing nests of the degraded to crowd them the more, and with worse results in other parts. Why should such be shocked at the idea of sending out of the world those to whom they will not give a place in it to lay their heads? They treat them in this world as, according to the old theology, their God treats them in the next, keeping them alive for sin and suffering. Some with the bright lamp of their intellect, others with the smoky lamp of their life, cast a shadow of God on the wall of the universe, and then believe or disbelieve in the shadow. Donal was still in meditation when he reached home, and still undecided what he should do. Crossing a small court on his way to his airy, he saw the housekeeper making signs to him from the window of her room. He turned and went to her. It was of Eppie she wanted to speak to him. How often is the discovery of a planet, of a truth, of a scientific fact, made at once in different places far apart? She asked him to sit down, and got him a glass of milk, which was his favorite refreshment, little imagining the expression she attributed to fatigue arose from the very thing occupying her own thoughts. "'It's a queer thing,' she began, "'for an old wife like me to come to a young gentleman like yourself, sir, with sick a tale. But, as the saying is, needs mon when the dale drives. And here's like to be an uncle stramish about the place, gin we come not together upon some gate out of it. Dinna look so scared, like, sir. We may be in time yet, ere the worst come to the worst, though it's some ill to say what may be the worst in such an ill-coopered kind of affair. There's the two fools o' bairns, truth or no better, and the tain's just as muckle to blame as the tither. Only the lass is war to blame nor the lad, being made sharper, and kinnin' better nor him what comes o' sick. Eh, but she is a gowk. Here Mrs. Brooks paused, lost in contemplation of the gowkedness of Eppie. She was a florid, plump, good-looking woman, over forty, with thick auburn hair, brushed smooth. One of those women comely in soul as well as body, who are always to the discomfiture of wrong and the healing of strife. Left a young widow, she had refused many offers. Once was all that was required of her in the way of marriage. She had found her husband good enough not to be followed by another, and marriage hard enough to favor the same result. When she sat down, smoothing her apron on her lap, and looking him in the face with clear blue eyes, he must have been either a suspicious or an unfortunate man who would not trust her. 
She was a general softener of shocks, foiler of encounters, and soother of angers. She was not one of those housekeepers always in black silk and lace, but was mostly to be seen in a cotton gown, very clean, but by no means imposing. She would put her hands to anything, show a young servant how a thing ought to be done, or relieve cook or housemaid who was ill or had a holiday. Donal had taken to her, as like does to like. He did not hurry her, but waited. "'I may as well gie ye the whole story, sir,' she recommenced. "'Sign you'll be where I am myself. "'I was out in the yard to look after my hens. "'I never let anybody but myself meddle with them, "'for they're just as easy spoilt as other folks' bairns. "'In the two doors of the barn standing open, "'I took the straight road through the same "'to win the easier at my feathered folk, "'as my old Minnie used to call them. "'I'm but a soft kind of a being, "'as my father used to tell me, "'and make but little den where I gang, "'so they couldn't have heard my foot as I go but what should I hear? But I mun tell ye it was in the gloaming last night, and I would have tell ye the same this morning, sir, seeking your fair counsel. But ye was away afore I kenned, and I was resolved not to let another gloaming come on ten precautions. What should I hear, I say, as I was saying, but a light—somewhere, I couldna tell where, as gin some had mare to say nor would be spoken out. Well, ye see, being one accountable to others for them it's accountable to me, I stood still and hearkened. Ginnaw was right, none would be the word for me. And Ginnaw wasna right. All should be wrong, gin I could make it so. Well, as I say, I hearkened. But, eh, sir, just get a keek out of that door, and see gin there be no somebody there hearkening. For that Eppie, I wouldna lip until her one hair. She's as sly as an edder. Nobody there? Well, stick ye the door, sir, and I was gang on with the tail. I stood and hearkened, as I was saying, and what sir I hear but a twosome tootmoot, as my old auntie Frey Iberdeen would have called it. One voice that of a man, and the other that of a woman. For it's strange the differ, even when both speaks their likest. I was aye gleg in the hearing, and had reason for the same to be thankful. But I could not for all my sharpness make out what they were saying. So when I saw it I was not to hear, I just sit about seeing, and as quietly as my soft foot, its softer nor its light, would carry me, I goed about the barn floor, looking where anybody could be hidden away. There was a great heap of straw in one corner, no hard against the wall, and atween the wall and that heap of thrashing straw sat the two. Up got my lord with a spang, as guinea had been tain stealing. Eppy would have bidden, and creep it out like a mouse ahind my back, but I was o'er sharp for her. Come out o' that, my lass, says I. Oh, Mistress Brooks, says my lord, Uncle Seville, for my sake don't be hard upon her. No, that anchored me, for though I say the lass is mer to blame nor the lad, it's not for the lad, be he lord or labourer, to lee himself out when the blame comes. And says I, my lord, says I, ye ought to ken better. I shall say no more in the now, for I'm o'er angry. Gang your ways, but na, no together, my lord. I shall look well to that. Gang up to Lyra and room, Eppy, I said, and gin I dinna see you there when I come in, it's away to your granny I gang this very night. Eppy, she good, and my lord, he stood there, with a face that glowed white through the gloaming. I turned upon him like a wild beast, and says I, I winna speed what you're up till, my lord. "'but ye can well enough what it looks like, "'and I would never have expected it all ye. "'He began and he stammered, "'and he begged me to believe there was nothing between them, "'and he wouldn't have harmed the lassie to save his life "'and all the life of it, "'and I couldn't in my heart but pity them both. Two sick bairns, doubtless drawn together "'with no thought of ill, "'ilk one by the bonny face of the other, "'as is but natural, though it cannot be allowed. "'He beseeched me so sair "'that I foolishly promised not to tell his father, "'gin he on his side would promise not to have more to do with Eppie.' and that he did. 
"'No, I never had reason to doubt my young lord's word. "'But in a case of this kind, it's I better not to lippen. "'Onnygate, the thing canna be left this wise. "'For gin ill came of it, where would we all be? "'I did not promise not to tell anybody. "'I'm free to tell yourself, Mr. Grant, "'and you mon contrive what's to be done.' "'I will speak to him,' said Donal, "'and see what humour he is in. "'That will help to clear the thing up. "'We will try to do right, "'and trust to be kept from doing wrong.' Donal left her to go to his room, but had not reached the top of the stair when he saw clearly that he must speak to Lord Forgue at once. He turned and went down to a room that was called his. When he reached it, only Davy was there, turning over the leaves of a folio worn by fingers that had been dust for centuries. He said Percy went out and would not let him go with him. Knowing Mistress Brooks was looking after Eppie, Donal put off seeking farther for Forgue till the morrow. End of chapter 24